are tuning in to the Revival Tabernacle Podcast. Wherever you may be listening from, we hope that this message encourages you in the unwavering, unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Join us as we reach sinners, raise believers, and release leaders. Please enjoy the message from the RT Pulpit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. Lord, not just the word of men, not the word of false gods, not simply the word spoken, but the word in flesh who came to us, bore our sin on Calvary. We have beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hallelujah. The living word. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's praise God one more time. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You could be seated in the Lord's presence. Hallelujah. Thank you, Sister Lisa and the worship team. Hallelujah. He is the living word. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's so good to be alive today. So good to be in the house of the Lord together with you. Let's continue to, to keep uh, Pastor Devin up in prayer. I uh, rolled over on my bed and, and uh, my phone was uh, lit uh, with a text. So uh, he is uh, not doing well. So I mean, I mean you know, I think it'll, it'll pass. It's kind of like a bug, but uh, you know what those bugs can be like. So let's, let's keep uh, Pastor Devin up in prayer. Pray that he has a speedy recovery. He should be back, I predict, but in the name of Jesus. Uh, he'll be back by this Wednesday night, so let's keep coming for uh, our, uh, our Strive for Five on Wednesday nights. Can I have an admission to you that I'm a little behind? So I count that one I just said from memory as number one. Uh, so that was John 1, 14. I may not have had it just right, but we're in the ballpark. So that's one. One out of five. So um, it'll, it'll, it'll speed up, Brother Justin, Lord willing. So, uh, and I'll have, I'll have five pretty soon. So that's John 1, 14. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. Oh, wait, you're supposed to do ones you don't know. Back to zero. Back to zero. <laughs> so, uh, the topic for today is godliness. I said, Pastor Devin, what do you want to, us to speak on? So he said, godliness. I was like, oh boy, how, a topic. How about a topic I've spoken on before? So let's go back to Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one, and we're going to read uh, the passage we've been uh, looking at in this series, beginning at verse three, Lord, use our time together, we pray. Your people have gathered because we need you. We need your word, we need your spirit, we need your salvation. Have that own way, oh God. You are the potter and we are the clay, oh God. Mold us and make us after your will while we stand silent, humble and still. Uh, go beyond what any man can do. And for the sake of the faith of your people, speak, we pray. We ask all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Second uh, Peter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things. Everybody say all things. That pertain to life and godliness. Godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, these precious and very great promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort, everybody say make every effort, 
What does your Bible say there? Anything different than make every effort? Giving all diligence. Amen. Anybody got anything else besides giving all diligence or make every effort? Wait, this is not Bible class. This is a sermon. You're not supposed to stop in sermons. All right, so there we have it. Make every effort to supplement your faith, to add to your faith virtue. And virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. There's that word again. And godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? For whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted that he is blind, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord add a blessing to it. We want to talk about true godliness today. True godliness. You know, the, the title true godliness is kind of weak, admittedly. But uh, it at least says this. There's such a thing as false godliness, right? Uh, you know, godliness is the kind of thing that it's hard to define. But we know it when it's not around, don't we? You'd be like, that was ungodly. Right? Uh, that right there, ungodly. You can see it. God ain't in that. <laughs> uh, now, sometimes, apparently, we can make mistakes about what godliness really is. Uh, I remember a few years ago, a friend of mine, uh, he, he, he said that he was in church, and he went up to a, a, a lady, and he said, well, praise the Lord. How you doing today? And she said, right. How about you? Kind of like, uh, uh, I'm doing right. What, what are you doing? <clears throat> so I said, Lord, chip on your spiritual shoulder. Uh, what happened uh, this morning, right? Cereal ran out. Something. Uh, we know it when it's not there. Jesus, uh, in very powerful ways, told some stories about uh, what real godliness is, is because apparently mistakes were being made in his own day. Anybody remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Right? We won't go back through it, but you can read that in uh, Luke chapter 10. Remember that story? Man gets beaten half to death. And uh, he's left on the side of the road by robbers. And then three men pass him. The first one is a Levite, somebody who served religiously. And he saw him and kind of hustling around him. There's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, it was probably a bad neighborhood. You see somebody lying in the street in a bad neighborhood, tell the truth now. <laughs> you just tell the truth. You're going to do something because you're a Christian. But you might pause and be like, <laughs> and like pull your phone out, you know, kind of taking a video while you're heading over there. <laughs> Going to help this fellow. Uh, right here. He had nothing to do with it. You at least had to think about it. But you're a Christian, so you'd, you'd help him. Put the latex gloves on, right? You know, so. Just happen to have some. So, uh, you got that story. A Levite, a religious man, passes by. Then a priest, another, you might argue, more religious man sees him. He's passing by. Maybe it wasn't all that. Maybe they were just in a hurry to get to the house of God. You ever been tempted on that one? I'm tempted on that quite often because I'm always in a hurry to get to the house of God. 
and you see somebody in need, doesn't mean you stop for everybody, but it's, I mean, this is an urgent need, right? This man's life is on the line. You see him, and they pass by. And then the hero of the story is very unexpected. If you understand, great tension between Samaritans and Jews at this time. And the Samaritan stops and helps the man. So it was a brilliant story in the sense that Jesus addresses a few issues in that story, a few tensions even in the, in the culture uh, there. What, what about the one about the Pharisee and the publican, the tax collector who were praying? Anybody familiar with that story? We won't go there either. You can look at this Luke 14. By the way, don't, don't use these as your memory verses because they're, they're, they're long. <laughs> so, like 12, 14 verses long. Stories, so you have to memorize the story. But they, maybe, maybe memorizing the story might be easier. So uh, don't let me tell you. Don't, don't listen to me. So good to get God's word in our hearts. Amen? But on that one, uh, two men went into the temple to pray. One a tax collector. One a Pharisee. Tax collectors were notorious. That's like saying uh, topless bar owner. Or that's like saying tax collector. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. So, uh, it's like a, it's, it's the kind that's set up from January to April, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, on Davidson. Now, anybody do that here? So, 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 uh, so you got the tax collector, not, not a good reputation in the culture. Pharisee actually did. You know, now today, Pharisees have a bad reputation. But not then. Quite frankly, Pharisees were looked up to for the most part. They were uh, the, the, the serious ones about religion, about Judaism. And so uh, they both bend down to pray. And the Pharisee bends down and he, uh, the Bible says he prayed about himself. That's kind of an interesting phrase. He prayed about himself. God, I'm so glad I'm not like other folk. Folk who rob and commit adultery and and steal. I'm so glad I'm so different than them. You know, I tithe, I fast twice a week. Oh, so glad. Thank you for making me like that. Then Jesus said the other fellow prayed, wouldn't even lift his head to heaven, beating his chest, a sign of deep remorse. All he could say to God was, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me. God, have mercy. It's funny, as I've gotten older, that's probably my most frequent prayer. <laughs> God, have mercy. God, have mercy. We don't deserve your goodness. You've been good to us. You've been better than me than I've been to myself. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. And Jesus said, now that man went home justified. Implication, the other man didn't. The other man kind of justified himself. Godliness. You know, godliness is something that's harder to find, but we know it when it's not the case. Yeah. Right? We know it when, it when there's ungodliness. So let's talk about this for a second. Uh, godliness. A few things about it. Number one, according to this passage, my brothers, my sisters, godliness, first of all, comes from God did this. Godliness is not some human achievement of, like a religious achievement. Uh, godliness, if you can uh, remember this, comes from God did this. Now, you said, what are you talking about? Well, uh, you know, throughout the New Testament, uh, uh, first of all, look at in 2 Peter again. He, he, he says this uh, in verse 5. For this reason, for this reason. What's that statement like? That's a statement of what? Kind of like motivation, right? Motivated for this cause, for this reason, do what? There you go. There it is right there. For this reason, for this cause, make every effort to supplement your faith with everything else that's mentioned there. And then he talks about godliness. Uh, for what reason? 
Well, that probably goes back up to verse 3. For this reason, because his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So why add all these things to our faith, supplement our faith? Why be godly and everything else? Because God has granted us everything to be so. Let me, let me just say this to you. Brothers, my sisters, never start with what we ought to do. Start with what God has already done. That is always the gospel. Human religion always starts with what you and I have to do. Now, don't get me wrong now. Christianity definitely has an ethic to it. Christians are called to a certain kind of life. But it's not a life that's self-generated. Right? It's not a human-empowered life. It's a life that comes from God. Uh, let's, let's think about how a lot of the letters of the New Testament are written for a second. Go with me to, uh, everybody, everybody do this. Now, now stretch, put your finger kind of like over here like this. Now, now come back this way. Back to the back. Just want to make you stretch your finger turning muscles because we about to turn some, some pages in the Bible. Okay, so you thought this was some sort of metaphysical demonstration? What do you think about when I do this? What about this? All right. So uh, go with me to Romans chapter 12, if you would. Romans 12. Now, we're gonna, not going to read too much here, but I just want to show you a couple things. Somebody read for us Romans 12, 1. The first part or so. Okay, you can stop there, Pastor Lisa. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. The therefore is there for a reason. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to stop making jokes of this to me. Too many jokes. But look here. I beseech you now, if you read Romans 12, it's a beautiful chapter with a lot of imperatives. Love one another, honor one another, pray for one another, serve one another. A lot of imperatives there. But before, his commandments are based off of an energy that comes from something prior. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, that includes sisters, by the way. I beseech you, therefore, in view of, in light of, the mercies of God, in all likelihood, brothers and sisters, the mercies of God are what Paul has been talking about in Romans 1 through 11 to save us. All that God has done in his eternal plan leading all the way up through what Jesus Christ did for us are the mercies of God. And you kind of follow this? The mercies of God that God has worked out throughout eternity all the way up through Jesus Christ are now complete. He has achieved them through Jesus Christ for you. Therefore, love one another. Not just out of your own, right, chutzpah, energy, but love one another as one who has been loved by God. All right? Eleven chapters of all that God has done. Four or five chapters of what we're called to do. Right? By the way, Ephesians is the same way. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4. Godliness comes from God did this, not from we need to do this. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. We see a word kind of repeated here. Can somebody read Ephesians 4, 1 nice and loud? Okay, I therefore, there it is again, first three chapters of Ephesians, all about the powerful work that God has done before you and I ever thought about God in Jesus Christ, all that he has done to save us through Jesus Christ, uh, the glory of God in saving us, in planning out and working our salvation through his son by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
first three chapters of Ephesians ain't even thinking about what you and I are called to do yet. Then Ephesians 4.1, therefore, after considering, I'm very tempted to take you back earlier to Ephesians, but after thinking about and realizing all that God has done in his grace for sinners and ungodly people like me and like you, now therefore, live a life worthy of the calling which you have received. Same thing in Colossians. Colossians 1 and 2, all about what God has done. Colossians 3 and 4, then set your mind on earth, not on earthly things, but on things above where Christ is seated. You kind of follow this pattern? It is really a New Testament pattern. And so what often, what the mistake we often make is we start with we for. Right? You know, well, I got to, the Bible to pray without ceasing. Well, it does, sure does. It definitely says that, and we ought to pay serious, serious attention to that. Love thy neighbor. Yep, it sure says that. But don't just start there. By the way, a little sad note. I'm on a soapbox. It is real good to read your Bibles uh, in units. So I really encourage you, as much as, first of all, I'm not discouraging you from memorizing verses, memorize verses. But all I'm saying is, along with memorizing the verse, uh, when you read your Bible, it is really important to read in context. So, like, if you read uh, Ephesians, take time out to read Ephesians from beginning to end, right? If you read Romans, read Romans from beginning to end. Uh, so, that takes some work and some time. That's why we're here as a church. We can help each other, support each other, Bible reading plans, version, all that kind of stuff on your little phone. But, but the whole point is you, you, the, the verses will become much more powerful in their flow in their context of what, you know, like say Paul was talking about in Romans or Peter was talking about here in 2 Peter. So read the rest of 2 Peter. It's three chapters when you get a chance. Read it and then, you know, you might not get everything over, overnight in one hour, but it, it, things will begin for you. The tapestry of scripture will start to kind of evolve, you know, little, little by little for you. All right. I'm off. So, uh, so godliness, my brothers, my sisters, comes from God did, did this. For this reason, because, what's the reason? Because God is at work in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Why am I to work out my salvation in fear and trembling? Because God is at work in us. There's a lot of scriptures I would love to take you to uh, for the sake of time. I won't. But if I could just start with this, always start not with the indicative, the imperatives of what we must do, though don't do without those, but start with the indicatives of what God has already done, what God is doing, who Christ is for us. All of a sudden, y'all, uh, you'll become somebody who's starting to fall in love with God. You'll become somebody who's starting to realize how much you've been loved, how much grace has been poured on you. You will realize at the same time how much grace you have needed. There's a tough part about reading the Bible because you start to realize how deep your sin is too. But you realize more importantly how high and how great, Brother Jefferson, the grace of God is to sinners. To sinners like you and me. Everybody with me out there? So, so godliness comes from God did this for this reason. Number two. Number two. So what is godliness anyway? What is godliness anyway? It is awesome respect accorded to God. Awesome respect accorded uh, to God. Uh, the Old Testament, maybe you might have heard this. The Old Testament word, so, uh, you know, the Bible's been translated from formal languages. And so the Old Testament word often used in the New Testament is the same word we know as fear, like to fear the Lord. So the, the, the godliness is related to this idea of fearing God. He said, uh, what's that about? Uh, well, let me say a couple of things. Uh, uh, godliness is different than holiness. They're often grouped together. A lot of things similar between them. Holiness is more this idea, first of all, it's, it's, it's the supreme description of God's character. So when a human being is holy, in some way, this is pointing to how that human being 
shares and resembles God's character in some way. Now, that's really, really important, right? Without holiness, we, we can't see the Lord. There's a lot more to be said about that, so, so we wouldn't misunderstand it. But let me just, godliness is a little different. Godliness is, is, is not, first of all, about sharing God's character, but it's, it's the disposition one has towards God. It's, it's not so much the, the content of one's character, but the, the way one's character is angled. Like, like, what direction are you? So, like, you might have somebody, quite frankly, you know, this, this, this lady's a Christian, this lady's not. Well, I'll be honest with you, you might meet a, a, a non-Christian who's got some better character attributes than this Christian. I'm not saying that ought to be, but it does happen sometimes. We don't all start from the same starting point. You don't know what this person's been through. Why do they struggle with drugs the way they do? Not to excuse struggling with drugs. But, uh, you know, I personally know a boy, young, a young man, he's 39, but his dad was the first one to inject him with heroin at 11 years old. That's very impactful, right? That's very impactful. I haven't gone through that. So I, I, I get it. If, if, if he's over here and he's struggling with heroin, and I don't, and so, you know, I'm, I'm real. I, I'm so holy in this area. Uh, there might be a lot, in, a lot there to be considered. And, you know, and God understands that. And by the way, I could be over here not using drugs, just as unrighteous in God's eyes, full of pride, loving myself all day long. Look in the mirror, you know. Kiss my biceps. I don't do that, by the way. <laughs> I was emulating, yeah, imaginary person. So, what is godliness? <laughs> it is a little different in holiness in this sense. And so, uh, it, it's an overarching attitude toward God himself, a fear of God. A deference for God, a deep honor for God. And none of us are this way intrinsically. None of us are born this way. Y'all with me out there? Quite frankly, we're all born on the other end. Irreverent. We tend toward, you know, God bores us. I remember uh, my dad used to was a pastor. He used to preach about going to heaven a lot. So one time he was uh, preaching that and uh, I came up after service and I was crying. He thought I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and he said, son, what is it? I think in his mind he had that look like, you know, here it is. Moment of truth. My young boy. He said, what is it, son? I said, Daddy, I don't want to be with Jesus forever. <laughs> I remember it clear as day. What about Sesame Street? <laughs> what about like Catch? <laughs> so now I believe that we'll play Catch in Heaven, so I'm okay. <laughs> now, I, there's more to it, my belief in Heaven than that, just so you know. Uh, but I hope you, hope you get it, though. At that time, y'all, I just couldn't see it. I was not thrilled about being with Jesus forever. My shoulders drooped. You know, I was kind of like, Lord. In my mind, I had a picture of a big, long church service. <laughs> In a big, long church with clouds. You know, those clouds were kind of coming down through the, and I shut the dream off as quick as I could I was like you know oh, right you know though part of that was misperception on my part you know part of that was being a kid but you know part of it may have been I may have been unconverted at the time I had no appetite for God 
I had no desire for Christ. That might have been it. That might have been a part of it. I know I was a kid. I realized that. But a, a, a big part of it might have just been that I just I didn't know him. I didn't long for him. We hadn't met. And uh, I couldn't see it. You ever been next to somebody who could see it? And you just couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. I didn't get it. What's all the fuss about? Mama, stop shouting. I don't get it. I ain't feeling this. I was only four, I was five, six, whatever. I don't remember what age I was, but I don't get it. I'm not feeling it. And so I think, and God's okay, he's okay with that. He understands that about us. So what is godliness then? Well, I think ungodliness is imaged in this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Maybe that could be another verse for you. Psalm 14 and 1. Or it's repeated in Psalm 53 and 1. Uh, why don't we go to Psalm 14 real quick? Psalm 14. Y'all all right? Psalm 14 and 1. Okay, now the fool in, the, in, in, in poetic literature like the Psalms is, is basically a, a replacement word for the sinner or the unrighteous. The fool or the ungodly. How do we know who a fool is? Well, you know, in his heart, he says, there is no God. Now, I didn't say with his mouth he says that. In other words, this is his or her inmost disposition. Like, this is where he's really at. Like, he, he might be at church every week. But where he's really at is, there ain't no God. And, 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 and kind of the proof of this is, uh, when he is free to do what he wills and what he wants, like when not forced to think about God or not forced to, you know, but when he's really in his comfort zone and, and just wants to enjoy himself and just be himself, where does his mind go? Where does her heart float? And I think what the psalmist is saying is the fool's heart floats to, there ain't no God. Let me click this mouse real quick. Hey, hey, by the way, I'm not condemning. So I'm just saying. The fool says in his heart, he's not there. It doesn't matter. And it's sort of the, the bottom line undertone. Therefore, look at the rest of that verse. Therefore, because this is their inmost attitude, they are corrupt. You see that connection there? They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good, which is a scary statement. So what is godliness then, my brothers and my sisters? If I was to sum this second point up, it's this inner disposition toward God, this reverence, this fear. I know very much what it's like to not have that. And then he met me. He touched my life. He's touched your life. And the fear of God this godliness is not perfected yet. You'll go to the grave, not as godly as we ought to be, but the direction of your life, the, di the direction of your inmost person has been turned. If you've, if you've come to know Jesus. Well, turn to what? Well, let's go to point three. But the direction of your life is, 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 is turned, revolutionized. Not just of your outer life, that's true, but of your inmost life is turned. Everybody with me out there? So let's go to uh, point three. So godliness comes from God did this, number one. For this reason, we want to add to our faith, godliness. Godliness kind of defined is this fear of God, reverence, deep worshipfulness of God. And number three, 
Real love for others and for God only comes from godliness, which is the real love and fear of God. Real love, let me kind of put it this way. Real love is what creates godliness, and then from godliness, real love also comes. It's kind of like a cycle. Uh, back in Second Peter, look with me very quickly. Back in Second Peter, and then we're going to go to Jonah and kind of close out. Now, these virtues, as you grow in them, Peter doesn't mean for them to happen like in order, chronologically, kind of like, you know. All right, so if I have faith, first thing supposed to happen, I'm supposed to grow in moral excellence. All right, so I'll do that this week. Then I'll tackle knowledge. That'll be for March 20th to 24th. After that, all right, so it doesn't go like that. All right, so I hope you, it, it, this is not some kind of, you know, chronological kind of thing. It, it's more of an idea of, of uh, priority. Like, uh, so uh, there's, there's some rhyme or reason to it, but it's not something like it happens in order. It's more organic than that. Happens probably together. But look at what he says, though, still. There is a sort of thought-outness about it. So add to your faith for this reason. Verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love with agape. All right? And so, grow in moral excellence. It, 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 does, it does seem like as a Christian, when you're born again, there will be kind of a new energy. A new energy to live for God. Go with that. Let it go. It's you now. Let it go and let it grow. It'll be kind of sloppy and You'll overdo it and sometimes you'll kind of, you know. So, so add knowledge to that. You know, add knowledge to that virtue. Absolutely. Grow in the knowledge about God and, and get into the word of God. It'll begin to put shape to those energies, those holy energies. They'll begin to be refined and, and molded. You want that. So let the virtue be molded by knowledge. And then that knowledge with self-control, yeah, knowledge is power. Knowledge also brings accountability, and it can be uh, knowledge itself can get out of hand. You can want to tell everybody about your knowledge. And I, I learned uh, I got strive for 10 going. Uh, so it doesn't rhyme, but, right? <laughs> And on and on it goes, steadfastness. It takes time many times for character to grow, for holiness to grow, steadfastness. And finally, out of all that, a godliness starts to take shape. You become this godly person who fears the Lord. And then godliness begins to produce brotherly affection, like real, again, not like you never loved before, but it's just saying that. This is kind of how it centers out, I guess you might say. And then out from Godless, brotherly love, and then out from brotherly love, charity, love, agape, the kind of love that God has, that unique God love. So I want to close with this. Let's look at somebody who helps us to maybe demonstrate what Godliness isn't and points to what godliness is. Go with me to the book of Jonah for a second. Y'all live out there? Jonah. It's somewhere around 
Micah, and uh, Obadiah, somewhere in there. <laughs> Nahum, right before Micah is Jonah. Anybody heard of Jonah before? Kind of familiar story. Um, you know, Jonah, in certain ways, gets a bum rap. Not entirely, but, uh, you know, sometimes he's kind of shaped up to be this kind of knucklehead, just kind of God-hater. No, no, you know, he was a prophet. Did you know that? God had used him. I think it's Second Chronicles uh, 14, 25. I'll double-check that later. Uh, it talks about how, you know, a prophecy that was given by Jonah. Uh, the son of Amittai. He's, he's, he's like a historical figure who lived and gave prophecies. Uh, God used him. He knew God. And then we catch him at a bad chapter, though, or maybe a bad four chapters. And God comes to him and says, hey, hey, man of God, look here, servant. I want you to go to Nineveh. Yeah, and I want you to uh, bring my message to that Next thing you know, Jonah is on his way to Tarshish. That's like a thousand miles the opposite uh, direction. The exact opposite. I need you to go to Camden, New Jersey. Why are you heading to Englewood? Uh, California. Hey, boss. You turned around. And Jonah just doesn't want, won't hear uh, the Lord. While he's heading to Tarshish, God says, uh-uh-uh, and sends a storm. Now, look at what happens during the storm. The, sol the sailors are terrified by this storm, and it's everybody, they're telling everybody, you know, they're, they're kind of all from different religions. They say, everybody, call on whatever God is your God. Call on your, just whatever. Just yours, yours, yours. Let's, let's, we'll figure out which one. And then look at verse 9. Chapter 1, they ask him in verse 8, where do you come from? What's your occupation? What's, what's your country? What people are you from? Verse 9, he said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Very orthodox. He knew his doctrine very well. By the way, and that's good. That's not a bad thing. But I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. I reverence him. I worship him. He named the right God to describe it very quickly. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. God's got good orthodoxy. Look at chapter 2. He continues. The storm stops. And... Uh, Jonah tells the sailors, it stops because he told the sailors, you're going to have to throw me overboard. This storm is about me. I'm pretty convinced. <laughs> so they threw him. They said, no, we're not going to do that to you, as they're strapping him up. <laughs> so they threw him over. The storm stops like that. And they begin to fear the Lord. And then they look. And while he's out there, a big fish comes and swallows him up. They're like, this is too much for one day. All snap, right? A fish swallowed him. And so now he's in the fish, and he begins to pray to God. Chapter 2, verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord as God from the belly of the fish. We won't read all of this, but skip down to verse Seven. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That boy preaching. Good doctrine. He knows his Bible. And the Lord spoke to the fish, 
And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Step two, he's, he's going to go do God's will now. We're going to skip chapter three. But the, the point I want you to see about Jonah is he's a man who, um, you know, he's got certain, he's godly in a way. You know, he's, he's, he's oriented around God. He cares about God's word. He studies it fervently. Hey, look here. He's been doing God's will even. I mean, he, he, he travels as a prophet. He's, he, this, God's using this fella. But this moment hit him just right. And it's funny, the way Jonah is laid out, we don't know why. We never know why Jonah refuses to go until chapter 4. The one bad part about how we retell the Jonah story is typically most kids' stories only tell up through chapter 3. When chapter 4 is actually the most important chapter. Right, chapter 3, he spit out, he goes over to Nineveh, he preaches, they repent by the 100,000 or so. <sighs> Amen. Isn't that a wonderful story, kids? Now, go on to bed now. We learned about Jonah. Chapter 4 is actually the main chapter. So let's look at chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. For the first time, we see into Jonah's heart. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. That should shock you. God just kept his wrath back from destroying a major city. And it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Let's go on to hear about Jonah as he talks back to God about the situation. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, isn't this what I said when I was yet in my country? See, you and me, we didn't hear that part of the story back in chapter 1. That was a conversation Jonah and God had had. You and me didn't hear that part. This is exactly what I said. That's why I went the other way when I was back in my country. That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So, so here's what I want you to get about the Jonah story. Uh, this is why he ran. He ran now in, because he couldn't stand the thought of going to preach to them folk. The Ninevites. It made his stomach churn. I will not. Now, just so you know, before you go judging Jonah too bad, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria uh, was just about to take captive uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. And Assyria was brutal. Uh, they would take their captors and flay their skin and uh, dip them in. I can't remember what they would dip them in, but they, they wanted to torture them very slowly. They would expose their nerves uh, stick them in dirt or something like that. I can't remember what they would do, but they, was, they were intentionally looking to rape, pillage, and uh, dominate in as demoralizing a way as they could. And Jonah couldn't stand them. Ugh, ugh, can't stand them, Ninevites. You want me to go to who? You want? Goes into a savings account. Buy the ticket the other way. So here's what I just wanted you to see about this. This is, un this is ungodliness, my friends. You know why? Not because just of what, what Jonah did, but because of what Jonah hated. He did not love what God loved. He did not want what God wanted. He hated what God loved. And you know something? I read that story and I'm like, Lord, have mercy. I have mercy. May it never be, Lord God. 
Help me. Help me to be more like you in this. And you know what? Romans 5, 8 says this, and I'm encouraged by it. I'm going to close with this. Romans 5 says this, that some might, in describing the love of God, it says that some might die for a good man. Another might die for a righteous man. But Romans 5, 8 says this, but God shows his unique love in this, that Christ died for the ungodly, for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. People whose hearts are not like his, out the gate at least. And he goes, here's what encourages me about Jonah chapter four. We're not told the end of Jonah, but God, here's how it ends. God refuses to not deal with Jonah. He's going to work with this man. He's going to change his heart. He's going to touch him. And the, and the story ends with them in mid-dialogue. In mid-dialogue. He's in dialogue with you too. And with me too. To make us like himself. To turn our hearts to be like his. Amen? Amen. Lord God. Do have mercy on us today, I pray. And you are. Lord, I know so many in this room, you are, you are making us to love what you love, to want what you want. You are turning our hearts toward you through Jesus, through the blood of Christ. I can't praise you enough, Lord God, for sending Jesus to die for the ungodly. which we were, which I am in and of myself. But you're doing something now in your people. You're turning them to your own self. You're turning us to your heart, your purposes, the way you feel. and You're getting us on the train with what you're doing. And for this, I give you praise. In Jesus' name. Community at Revival Tabernacle aims to reach our city and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus. Thank you for your support. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at www.revivaltab.org.